Welcome to Prayer Storm Podcast. We trust that it will be a blessing to you and that it will stir you and equip you to be all God calls you to be. Amen. You might be wondering why I'm dressed like this. I don't usually dress like this. Do you like my outfit? <laughs> I was in America recently and uh, uh, you know, we had to dress up like this because my sister was getting married and uh, one of the white people was calling this uh, a costume and it just made me laugh so much. <laughs> so I was like, it's not a costume, it's an outfit. <laughs> so, um, it's been an amazing few months. Um, lots of amazing things have been going on. I was actually in a meeting last week and in that meeting, a guy came to me at the end of the meeting. He's a, he's a designer, as in he, did, he designs clothes. And he's based in Nigeria. And uh, these are one of the clothes he designed. He gave me another one, but this is one of the ones he designed. Uh, so I decided to wear this today because of the way I want to start the message I'm going to be sharing with you. It is connected to uh, some things going on around the world. And Nigeria is one of the places where that's happening right now. So that's going to be my basis. And then I'll go into other areas I feel the Lord wants me to, uh, to speak on. Uh, the persecution of believers is something that many of you will be aware of across the world going on right now. Uh, in July, I had the privilege of traveling to Nigeria, to the northern part of Nigeria. Now, as many of you know, um, I've got Nigerian heritage. My dad is Nigerian. I grew up mostly in Nigeria, but I was born in Liberia, and my mom is from Ghana, and my wife is from Stockport. <laughs> so, you know, I'm kind of all over the place, really. <laughs> now, I've not been to Nigeria since 2008, and then before that, I came to the UK in 2001. So, actually, I think, is it this year, Becky, I've lived more in the UK than I have done in Nigeria <laughs> this year. Anyway, point is, I've not been to Nigeria for a long time. And when I lived in Nigeria, I lived in the south, you know. So that was in Ibadan, which is like about two hours from Lagos. A lot of people know Lagos. Anyway, never been to the north before. But this opportunity came up for me to go to the northern part of Nigeria. And many of you would have heard of some of the crazy things that are going on there. And uh, it was amazing because I got to meet some incredible people and hear some stories that were just shocking. But a lot of it was God awakening me in many ways to the reality of what's going on in the world. And I believe some of these stories need to be shared to wake up the Western believers, to realize what's going on, not just in terms of persecution, but realize the price many people are paying for the gospel in a way that causes us to shake out of our complacency. Because I find it funny when we go to meetings and we hear about persecution in some country and everyone says, let's pray for them. Now, we are going to pray for, for the persecuted believers, but I feel a bit hypocritical to pray for them who are ready to suffer for the gospel while I am not bothered and not ready to suffer for the gospel. And I'm saying, Lord, help them over there and bless them over there. Whereas my heart is like, Lord, I'm not even ready to stand for you. And, you know, right now I'm denying you anyway, and I'm not even bold to share my faith. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of the gospel. When our lives does not depend on it, we are scared to share our faith. So what's going to happen when our life depends on it? If we can't stand now, then what's going to happen when our life depends on it? You've got to realize that in the West, we're having a different type of persecution going on. But it is persecution the same. There is marginalization. There is mockery going on. There's discrimination in the workplace towards believers. There's all kinds of things going on. And it manifests itself all through society and all through the media. But it's still the same, it's still the same antichrist spirit. Are you hearing me today? 
It's just manifesting differently. So when I went to Nigeria, I was really uh, uh, impacted uh, by some of the stories of some of the people I met whose husbands were killed, whose children were killed, whose churches were burned down, all because they refused to deny their faith. And some time ago, I released a teaching. I'm going to just summarize quickly. In the teaching, I talked about uh, Acts 5, where all kinds of crazy things happen. In Acts 5, Peter's shadow heals the sick. And it's like, wow, incredible. We all want to see that happen. In Acts 5, though, Peter was, and, the, and some of the disciples were thrown in prison, and they were beaten with many rods. Okay, in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira lied and they died. And that is not the Old Testament, that is the New Testament. So you got to realize that there are dimensions of the glory of God we have no idea about. And I was reading this not long ago, just thinking about the fact that the same glory, the same glory that healed all, because even in, that, in Acts 5, after Peter's shadow healed the sick, there's a, there's a few words somewhere around that area in Acts 5 where he says, and all were healed. So everyone that came to the meeting had an encounter, and all their, all their issues were sorted, boom, in one moment. I mean, that's incredible manifestation of God. And I want you to think of this. The same glory that healed all got them beaten. The same glory that healed all also killed Ananias and Sapphira. So next time you want to cry for the glory of God, maybe think twice. Because the glory of God has different facets and dimensions to it. You can't just cry out for the part you like. And the part that makes you look good and anointed and everybody healed. Because the glory also brings judgment. In fact, the judgment and the glory of God is instantaneous. And that's why sometimes God holds back. Because he doesn't want to release that judgment because we're not ready for what we're praying for. So I believe some of these stories would wake us up to what's going on with believers and others, other parts of the world, but also the calling that God is placing on us right here in the West. One of the stories I heard, so one of the days um, uh, I was there, we got to meet a lot of, uh, in fact, we went to different villages that had been attacked by some of these militants, uh, uh, Boko Haram, where they'd killed uh, Christians, and they I mean, it was just crazy uh, going to these places and hearing the stories. Uh, I've never heard some of the things I heard. It was just so shocking. And then we had times where we would meet with some pastors uh, to talk about what's going on in their churches, and they'll give us more stories about all the discrimination, all the persecution, how their family members have been killed. And then there's another time, which I'm going to show you some stories from that really spoke to me. We met with some widows whose uh, husbands had been killed. Uh, there's one woman, uh, I, I remember... Uh, uh, sharing her story of how she was at work and she received a phone call from her husband that the Boko Haram people have uh, started to attack their village. Her husband is a pastor, you know, and, um, and so her husband told her to, to run, to come to the mountains because that's where they were hiding. But she decided she needed to go home and sort some things, I think, lock the gate or whatever it was. So she went home to lock the gate. Her husband had to come down from where he was hiding in the mountains to make sure she was okay, lock the gate, and then they were going to flee to the mountains to hide from Boko Haram. As they were fleeing, uh, uh, running from Boko Haram in their car, there is Boko Haram right in front of them. They didn't know it was Boko Haram because they were dressed in the military gear. They thought it was military personnel coming to save them. So the, the Boko Haram people came out and basically just said to them, you know, are you an infidel? Are you a Christian? Are you, are you, are you an infidel? So the guy said, well, I'm a pastor. So they told him to lie down on the floor. You know, he's just shaking. So right there in front of her, they shot her husband five times. So he died, obviously. Now, she left 
and with the, uh, she, she's got five children, went into the mountains, you know, and they were there just, just, just scared for their lives, just staying there, no water to drink, you know, just really suffering. And um, she said, this is, this is something I found really amazing because all these stories, and you hear about maybe a couple more, and now going to some other things I feel the Lord wants me to share. All these stories over and over again, what they're sharing about is not just the persecution, but you know what they end up saying? We're forgiving them. <laughs> and we love them and we're praying for them. And one of, in fact, this lady, this is the prayer point. She says, she says, well, you need to tell the church to pray that these militants will be like uh, Saul turning to Paul, that they would have those radical encounters you know, with God. Uh, there was another lady um, uh, we met in this same group. Um, she was in a house and, and uh, with her husband, and the Boko Haram people attacked them right there in the house. And she's got three boys right there in front of her. They uh, hacked her husband to death. And the, her two sons were right there, and they started to hack them, on, just hit them on their neck. So this is going to get graphic. If you don't want to hear it, close your ears. It's important you hear this, though. As they were doing this, the boys were looking like they were almost dead, but not dead. So the Boko Haram people said, well, these ones look like they're not dead. You know, you need to kind of just hack them to death some more. And the, the soldiers did that some more, and the boys passed out. The Boko Haram guys thought the boys were dead. So they left. Miraculously, the boys survived. Okay, the woman who was sharing with us this story, she showed us uh, pictures of her son's uh, neck, how it's, you know, it was just crazy. Now, she said it took her sons some time to get to the place of forgiving, but they, they, as a family, they got to the place where they were able to forgive these people and begin to pray for these people. Um, again, Another story, this one for me really touched me because it happened on my birthday. I forgot the year it happened. November 11 was the date. Uh, and I think this one I'm about to share probably touches more on the message I have than anything else. Uh, it's being prepared for martyrdom. This is a family, a young man. He's got uh, a, a child, I think about two years old. He and his wife are in a village. And they, kept, they keep hearing all these stories about Boko Haram attacking all these villages. So his wife says to him, we need to leave because it seems like we're in danger where we're living right now. You know what he says to his wife? He says, who's going to preach to Boko Haram? So he says, I am not going to go. <laughs> She's like, we need to leave this place. Like, I am not going to go. Who's going to preach to Boko Haram? So she keeps trying to persuade him to leave. And, you know, he wouldn't leave. Eventually, he decided that he was going to take his family put them somewhere safe. So he drove his wife and his child, put them somewhere safe. And you know what? He went back to the village. And his determination was, someone has to preach to Boko Ram. Okay? So one day, he's right there in the village with his friend. And you know what? There comes Boko Ram. And they saw him and his friend. They told them to get on their knees. They, they, uh, they, they asked his friend if his friend was going to deny his faith. This, this part really kind of was, I was able to put myself in his friend's shoes. Because he says, when they asked his friend if he was going to deny his faith, he said his friend could not answer a question. He could not answer them. He was just shaking like a leaf because he knew, I think this is going to be the end of my life right now. And I, when this guy, when this lady was sharing this with me, I could almost relate 
to that feeling of just knowing you're about to die. You can't deny him, but you know they're about to just shoot you. So they asked this guy who's just put his family somewhere safe. He says, you know, are you going to deny Christ? You know what he says? He says, even if Christ doesn't come to save me right now, I will not deny him. Now, there were some people in the village that were watching this. That's how we got to hear the story, obviously. So you know what they did? They said to him, well, because you've answered us in such a rude manner, we're going to make sure you never speak from that mouth again. They shot him in the mouth, and he died. Now, his wife was somewhere else, obviously, didn't know that the husband had died. Uh, she was having a sense that something had happened because the people around her were constantly just in tears, and no one would tell her anything. Eventually, someone ended up telling her what happened. Now, she was, I think, about five months pregnant. The moment she heard the news that her husband had died, she just passed out and fainted, and that was how she lost the baby. And so she now has a two-year-old or three-year-old uh, that's been asking her over and over again, where is daddy, where is daddy? And she's been thinking, I don't know what to say to him. By the way, he was killed on November 11, which is my birthday. So that really, really touched me anyway. She was thinking to herself, how do I communicate to her that, uh, uh, I don't know if it's a hurry, he, how do I communicate to my child that uh, the father is dead? He, she was struggling with that thought for a while. Eventually, she summoned up the courage to tell the child that the father had died. Do you know what the child said? He said, well, daddy told me that we're going to meet in heaven. So I asked her, I said, did he know he was going to die? And was he prepared to die? She was like, he prepared himself to die and he prepared, he prepared his child about the fact that he was going to die for the faith. And that really shook me on the inside. Like, he knew what could happen, but he was ready to give his life. He was ready to pay the ultimate price for the sake of the gospel. And when I heard that, something was shaking in me, thinking, wow, what a commitment. And we can sit here and go, wow, what a commitment. But I feel like God was even asking me, James, I may not call you to be a martyr, but are you ready to give up everything for my name's sake? Because the same spirit that, that rested on this guy that led him to a place where he was able to say, look, I'm ready to die for Jesus, and I'm ready to lay down my life for Jesus, that same spirit of the martyr, God actually wants that same spirit to work in every one of his children. Because, this may shock you, God wants to kill you. When I say God wants to kill you, I don't mean God wants to kill you physically. Now, there's some people that are called to be martyrs, but God wants... God is in the business of slaying the flesh. So you can't get to the place of being a martyr and saying, Lord, I want to give my life for you. When God is challenging you to give up a relationship and you don't want to let go of it. When God is challenging you to give up some finances and you don't want to let go of it. When God is challenging you to resolve some issues over here and you don't want to do it. How are you going to end up giving the old, paying the ultimate price of your life if you're not able to even sacrifice yourself, like he says in Romans 12, giving your body, offering your body to God as a living sacrifice. In other words, you're called to the ministry of dying. And the fact that you're called to the ministry of dying means 
You're not meant to run away from dying. You're meant to run to the altar because that's where the slaying takes place. There will be no resurrection if there is no crucifixion. We want the resurrection and we want the power of God. We want the glory of God to manifest in our lives. But I believe God is wanting to speak to the Western believers, and that's me, about the life of crucifixion because we will not rise in the level of glory that God wants us to rise in if we don't learn to die like he's wanting us to die. Many of us are too alive. Dead people are the ones that are qualified to carry new dimensions of the glory of God. Dead believers, believers whose flesh are dead. In other words, they are not resisting God. Don't we pray all the time, Father, let your kingdom come and Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, we pray that for the nation. Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done in the United Kingdom as it is in heaven. I find that a bit hypocritical to pray because why, and why should I be praying for God's will to be done in the nation if his will is not being done in here? I, I, I'm lacking the authority to ask for his will to be done out there if his will is not being done in here. Now, I do believe in praying for the persecuted church, and we're going to do that hopefully towards the end of this meeting. However, I, I, I want us as Western believers to, to, to grab hold of a deeper message that I believe the Lord is wanting Western believers to understand. Because everything in our Christianity today is driving us towards comfort. It's all about comfortable. It's all about being comfortable. It's all about everything just making us feel comfortable in the flesh. But the things of the kingdom are often attained by discomfort to the flesh. And if we want to press into the deep things of God in our generation, we're going to have to step out of the comfortable zone. Do you want to turn to Isaiah 60? Sorry, Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, verse 1. I'm going to read this verse which many of you may have heard or would know. Um, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it, were, above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two wings he covered his face. With two wings he covered his feet. And with two wings he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is, is full of his glory. And the doorpost of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. I'm going to stop right there because the bit I want to focus on is really the first part of the verse. Isaiah says, In the year King Uzziah died, I had an encounter with God. In the year King Uzziah died, the barrier between my breakthrough to a new realm of encounter with God was removed, and I was able to step into a new place of encounter that ended up bringing change in me. The 21st century church seems to put on a pedestal impartations. Now, there's nothing wrong with people laying hands on you and impartations. However, there's some things that you're not going to get until you have another level of encounter with God. 
I don't know about you, but I've had some encounters with God, and I am hungry for new realms of encounter. Because when you encounter God, you become a different person. See, when you encounter God, the signs that you've encountered God can be seen in your flesh. When you've truly encountered God, something about your nature, something about your perspective changes. And what Isaiah is really saying, I believe the Lord is saying through Isaiah in this scripture is, in the year something that was in an exalted position, King Uzziah, in the year that king died, something opened up in the spirit realm. For many people in this room, you're not going to step into the next level of breakthrough in encountering God. You're not going to step into the next phase of what God wants to do in your life until that which you've put in an exalted position dies. When that death takes place, then you're opening the pathway for God's resurrection to be manifested. Do you know how King Uzziah died? King Uzziah started really good and ended really bad. And he ended up, uh, because he went into the temple to, uh, to, to burn incense when he wasn't supposed to. And God judged him. And the judgment of God that came on King Uzziah was leprosy. What is leprosy? Leprosy is a disease of the flesh. Are you hearing me right now? So in the year, the guy who was carrying the disease of the flesh died. That was the year where there was an opening of a new encounter. And I believe that speaks to us about the dying of the flesh in our generation, in our lives, that we can step into a new place of encounter with God because God wants the flesh out of the way. Some of us, the issues we're dealing with, the pride, the lust, the things that seem to be resisting our walk with God is all about getting on the altar and letting some dying take place. Because you're too alive. Your, your voice, the voice of the flesh is too loud. Even when you're praying, you're not praying from the spirit. You're praying from the flesh. It's your fleshly prayers you're praying. Do you realize you can get to a place in God where you forget about your prayer requests? Not that you don't have them, but God starts to give you the prayer request. Because your prayer request, you're praying in your carnal mind, and you don't realize that you're not praying according to his purpose and according to his will. And when you have certain encounters, your prayer requests go out of the window. And you could be praying the way you're praying right now because of a lack of revelation of where God really wants to take you. And I believe God is wanting to slay the flesh tonight. God is in the business of slaying flesh. In fact, God likes the smell of burning flesh. When he calls you a living sacrifice, it's actually a bit of an oxymoron because a sacrifice is meant to be dead. You're a living sacrifice. And the Bible says his mercies are new every day. And Paul said, I die daily. So the process of death is not something you do once and then you move on. It's a process of constantly coming before God, coming before the altar of God and asking the Lord to search us. You know, this is one of the problems we have in the church. Many of us don't stay enough. Many of us don't stay long enough at the altar for him to point out to us the things that need to die. 
We're so quick to just give God everything we want him to do for us, and we don't let his light to shine in areas of our lives and say, hey, you know what? You were preaching at that meeting yesterday, and actually what you did was out of order because that's not what I wanted for you, or that's not how I wanted you to minister. I like to use the illustration of Jesus turning stone into bread. You know, Jesus is, is anointed with the power of God, He's in the desert, he's fasting, actually. It was after the fast, the power of God came on him, according to Scripture. However, he was in the desert, he was fasting. He was seeking God. And here, the temptation comes for Jesus to turn stone to bread. That will not be a temptation if it was not possible. So, Jesus could have turned the stone to bread. Are you tracking with me? If you were there, and you saw Jesus turn that stone to bread, what would you say? Miracle. Man of God. <laughs> wow. In fact, maybe on the back of that miracle, you will start the Stone to Bread Ministries International. <laughs> because we haven't seen stone being turned to bread before. So we're going to make a big deal about this. We're going to put some videos on Facebook, and we're going to write some newsletters. We're going to do some videos. We're going to go on TV. We're going to go on talk about how we saw Stone turned to bread. Incredible miracle. However, you would not have known that by doing that miracle, Jesus would have been functioning out of a dysfunction in himself. Even though he did a miracle. So the temptation was for him to function from a wrong place. To do the miracle by, to, to perform a great sign to prove his identity, because the whole temptation was about, if you are, do this. If you are, do this. So he was trying to prove, the enemy was wanting him to prove who he was, because the father had already said to him, you are my son. And Jesus said, no, I don't need to prove to you who I am by what I'm doing. I know who I am. And because I know who I am, I'm going to do what the father wants me to do, not what you want me to do. So he's not, he didn't get his identity from his doing. He got his identity from his being he was already rooted in the father so this temptation was not gonna take him off track but for him to not go off track he had to be submitted fully to God's will he had to die to his own will and submit himself to God's will last time I spoke at furnace I spoke about Hannah and you know Hannah is an incredible passage in 1 Samuel where Hannah uh, prayed this incredible prayer and breakthrough was released. God answered her prayer, gave her her son uh, uh, Samuel. And last time I said this, I said, Hannah did not pray that prayer. I don't believe that was the first time Hannah had ever prayed for a son. Because at that point in Hannah's life, the second wife had at least four kids. Two boys and two girls, because the Bible says she had sons and daughters. Now, Hannah began to pray, and the breakthrough came in the prayer when death took place. Do you know what happened? She transitioned for crying out for a son for herself, and transitioned from just selfish, God, give me a son, to a place of God. If this son comes, it's going to be given back to you. 
So she died to herself, and God says, that's exactly what I'm after. Because death has taken place, now I'm going to entrust you with something that you've never dreamed of. Listen, God wants to entrust the body of Christ with greater things that we can think of, but many of us are not ready to die. We just want things our way. I know we're, see, we're even praying prayers that sound good. And, you know, in many ways, the prayers we're praying, it's God's will. But we're praying it from the wrong motive. Why do you want the big ministry? Why do you want the big business? Why do you want all these things? Why do you want all the provision? What's the real thing? Is it because you just want to prove that you're successful and that you're anointed? Is it because you just want to look good? Why is God going to validate that insecurity? By blessing it. You remember when the disciples uh, 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 were fishing after Jesus' resurrection? They went fishing and they fished all night. All night. They ended up fishing. And they caught nothing. All night is all night. That's lots of hours. And Jesus shows up and in one moment, they obeyed him and they were able to catch all these fish. Lots of fish they were able to catch. And then, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, John realizes it's Jesus. And Peter gets in the water and reaches Jesus. What amazes me is, they spend all night trying to catch fish. After catching the fish they've been wanting so long, when Jesus showed up, they left it and got in his presence. When they got on the shore, there was another fish on the shore that, was, that did not come from the boat. Read it in the last chapter of the book of John. There was another fish on the shore that Jesus had put. This time, this fish was in the fire. So they did not stay in the boat to just enjoy a boat full of fish. They had to come to the place where the fire was. I don't know about you. I don't just want to enjoy a boat full of fish. I want to get in the place where the fire is and where he is. Many Christians don't realize the very blessings we're crying out for can become the idols of our lives such that if God were to release that blessing, it becomes the greatest distraction from him. So we're saying, God, give me the big ministry. And God is like, that big ministry you want is going to take you away from me. Oh, God, give me a successful business. And God's like, well, that successful business you want, I want to bless it. But first, I want you to die to it. Remember when Jesus was resurrected? An angel came. It was time for Jesus to shine. <laughs> An angel came, rolled away the stone, and Jesus stepped out, and it was a whole new level of glory being manifested. That whole concept is what happened to a believer when you die. The shining only comes after the death. And the angel rolls away the stone, and then God can entrust you with different realms of his glory. God loves you, but he doesn't trust you. God loves everyone, but he doesn't trust everyone with certain dimensions of his glory. You can ask Abraham. Abraham was going to kill his son because God said so. It took days for Abraham to get to the place to kill his son, right? God said to Abraham, I want you to give me your son. The moment Abraham got up and said, yes, Lord, and starts walking, God could have said, yes, now I see that you want to obey me. No, God waited until Abraham 
had the son laid out and took out the knife and was about to slay him. Do you know what happened at that moment? Isaac had already died in Abraham's heart. Before Abraham could put that knife down, Isaac had died in Abraham's heart. And do you know what the Lord says? Now I know. God didn't say that when Abraham got out of his bed and was taking Isaac. It was when the death took place and God said, now I know. In blessing, I'm going to bless you. And it was a whole new dimension of the glory of God manifested through that one man. Only when death took place. I don't know about you, but I see too much, too many areas of my life where death needs to take place. And it's not easy because no one wants to die. The flesh doesn't want to die. And that's why many times you don't like praying because your flesh doesn't want to die. You, you got to stare at that altar and say, Lord, this, this, this pride, something needs to happen here. This loss, something needs to, you, you have to stay at the altar and let the fire of God, let the knife of God, so to speak, let it come and deal with you deeply. In fact, I'm thinking of my own testimony right now about prayer storm. I'm going to finish with this and then we're going to pray. Some years ago, uh, I don't know, 2002, 2003, I, I just had this desire. I don't know where it came from, and I started to gather people together to pray. And it was young people, and we're meeting regularly to pray. We're seeking God. Um, and then some, some stuff, I mean, we're meeting a friend's house, and the, the house just got packed out with lots of young people, and people were getting encounters with God, praying the Spirit. All these crazy things were happening. It was like, wow, I had no idea what was going on. Um, and in the midst of that move of God, some issues came up, and some of the parents of the kids uh, were not happy with what was going on. So in essence, they shut it down. And I remember that time kind of talking to my dad about it, you know, just, you know, we're talking through that whole thing. And this is the word I felt the Lord gave me, John 12, 24. Unless a grain of wheat dies, it abides in itself. But when it dies, it can bear much fruit. Are you hearing me? And I feel the Lord saying to me, this thing that's happening right here, it needs to die. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So it died. That was maybe 2002, 2003. 2007, I went to the ramp, and some of you know the story. All that happened did happen. I had an encounter with God that was incredible. I went to the call. 2009, prayer storm started, and now we're 2019, and here we are. Now, it didn't occur to me that prayer storm was what died in 2002. I had no idea until years later. I'm thinking, I'm like, oh my goodness. It feels like what's happening now has happened before, but there's a different level of grace upon it, even than back then. And I'm realizing God is saying, well, you've died to it, so I'm giving it back to you now. There's some things God's not going to give to you until you die. Anybody ready to die here today? <laughs> Or two people. Anybody wanted to die here today? I'm telling, even though I'm preaching this message, I'm praying, Lord, if I'm, my wife would tell you, the other day I was thinking about this very thing, saying, Lord, I just, what do I need to die to? What, some of you have idolized certain prayer requests so much that you have to die to it. And just almost surrender it to God and not allow your whole prayer life to be revolved around that one thing. Because now it's gone to another place of idolization. And you need to, you need to just say, Lord, 
I'm dying to this now. I'm giving it to you because I'm trusting that as I give it to you, you're going to bring resurrection. You're going to resurrect this because that's what you do. Do you just want to close your eyes for a moment right now? I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come in a fresh way to shine his light on areas of fleshly activities that have been flourishing and they need to be slain at his altar tonight. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come in a fresh way and shine your light on the areas where we are alive in the flesh, but we need to die. We need to die. We're not just going to pray for Christians who are suffering in terms of physical persecution. Lord, we want to model that by submitting to you and experiencing death in our flesh now. You know, a lot of the issues that we have in church is just flesh issues. It's because pride is too real. There's too much ego. There's too much ego. Some, some leaders, some pastors need to visit the altar, not need, need to visit, need to dwell at the altar and let some ego die. The things that's hindering the move of God around us is mostly us because we get in the way. There is no way we can be people who live at the altar and egos get in the way and we be filled with selfish ambition and wanting to do our own thing. Listen, when we begin to see God move the way he wants to move, it's not about any man taking the credit. And men who are truly dead don't care who gets the credit. Because we just want God to move. Some of you, I feel like there are people here who have had a purity in pursuit, but that pursuit of God has become contaminated with desires of the flesh, ambition, and comparison, wanting to look like this, wanting to look like that. And God is like, I want you to die to all those ideas because there's other things I want to do in you that you have no idea about. You have to submit yourself to the process. Listen, this is not a popular and easy message to receive, but I'm telling you, the glory that God wants to release in us, as we learn to embrace death, is unlike anything we've ever known before. Isaiah 6. The year King Uzziah died, a new realm was opened up. What this nation needs, what the government needs, what our schools need, what our universities need, what our workplaces need, are people who are living from a place of a fresh encounter with God. And I believe for that encounter to take place, some death needs to happen. So what we're going to do is we're going to make this place an altar right now. I remember in 2007... When I went to the ramp, um, I don't think it was a message I heard like this, but there was something that was going on, 
and I knew the Lord was wanting me to kill something. <laughs> and uh, it was really painful. And I remember going to the altar and laying it down before God. And I knew I was laying down the Isaac. And God was like, yes. I mean, I was laying it down with tears because it was so, it was like God was convicting me and saying, you need to let this die right here. And when I let it die, again, like God tends to do, years later, he gave it back to me. And I wasn't even wanting it anymore at that point. Father, we turn our hearts to you and say, Lord, let this be a moment that marks us as believers that we'll not just stand with the persecuted church, but we'll learn how to embrace the daily death in our bodies, in our lives, in our flesh today. If you want to respond to this right now as we round up, I want to encourage you to come forward. By the way, this is not a call for people who are not super spiritual. This is a call for everyone who wants to say, Lord, I want to embrace the death of the flesh. Now, this is not going to be easy. This is not going to be fun. Maybe as you're coming forward, you know the areas that death needs to take place. Maybe you know the things you need to lay down before the Lord. Maybe you need to give that business back to God again because you've taken charge of it and he's like, I want you to give it back to me because I am the one that's going to make that come to pass. And you're like saying, Lord, I want to embrace that place of dying again. There is no other way of a shortcut to the encounters. I want to embrace total surrender to you, Lord. I am also responding to this because I want to die more. So, Father, right here, we're asking you that the barriers between us and you, the barriers between us and the next dimension of encounter, the barriers between us and the next level of seeing like Isaiah saw. Father, right here, right now, we come and we place ourselves before the altar as a living sacrifice. We're the ones that want to die. We want to die to self. We want to die to pride. We want to die to our own will. And Father, we know that's going to be painful but we want to embrace that process because we want to see the resurrection after the crucifixion we want to see you glorify yourself in us as we die to our own ideologies our own ideals the way we think things should be father tonight we embrace the message of the cross for we will not get to the throne without going through the cross so tonight father we choose the process of the cross Thank you for tuning in to Prayerstone Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed today's edition. For more information and teaching, and if you'd like to get connected, please visit www.prayerstone.org.